0: You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 13, episode two. Caleb Moten is a singer-songwriter, composer, music producer, and musician who is dedicated to revealing beauty and meaning and liberating other artists to do the same. Caleb has released four studio albums to date and is currently producing two more. In addition to his solo work, Caleb also works as a music producer with credits for artists such as Victory Boyd and Abby Gamboa. In this episode, Caleb shares one of the foundational encounters that shaped him as an experimental musician as well as his journey of developing a vocabulary that encapsulates some of the deeper experiences of his life and music. In keeping with this season's theme of community and culture, Caleb shares about the impact of leaning into particular expressions of art, not only as an individual, but what happens when an entire movement of people collectively express the same heart? Caleb will be joining us along with Victory Boyd at the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts event, taking place March 22nd through 24th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to the event, as well as to Caleb's music. Thank you for listening. This is the Vocabulary of Encounter with producer and composer Caleb Moat. Caleb, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast, my friend.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. Man, what a joy to get to spend some time with you on the show to talk about your music, your production, some of the motivations behind your work, and uh, just introduce you to the Makers and Mystics crew. So. I'd love to start with a little bit of your background. Have you always been a musician for most of your life? How did you get into this?
1: So I've always been interested, and I always kind of played. Like I started out like kind of just picking out nursery rhymes on um, those little toy keyboards that they get for babies. (laughs) Um, So I always had a good ear. I started classical piano when I was six, and I studied that until I was about 13. I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I had like this weird, almost like delusional self confidence. Yes. <laughs> when it came to like music and making music, like I remember the first time I heard that like Mozart was eight when he wrote his first symphony, and I was like, "Dang it!" Because I think I was like ten, and I was like, "Dang, I missed it <laughs> You're by like, two behind. Years. Better get on it." <laughs> so that probably tells you a little bit about my personality at the time.
0: <laughs> I mean. Delusional self-confidence is quite a phrase. I like that. That's <laughs> a little
1: bit. I could can, I can relate to Kanye a little bit in that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I studied classical piano until I was 13. And that is when I started to get into composition. And that is actually where I stopped formal music training. And so I got into film score composing I started doing that on like a semi-professional level when I was 16 like scoring for short films. And then kind of slight detour off the musical path. I took a missions trip to China and that changed my life because it had nothing to do with music and it was just loving people and I had more fun and felt more fulfilled doing that than I'd had doing anything before. So When I came back from that, for the first time in my life, I kind of put music on the back burner. Because up until that point, I was like, I'll be the greatest film score composer ever. I'll be the next Hans Zimmer.
0: Yes. One of my personal heroes.
1: Yes. And so when I came back from that, my goal changed. And then I went to this worship camp um, right before I turned 17. And that was where music kind of came back around. And after that, My aspirations in music have really been to express and capture as much as possible like the experience that I've had with God and the experience that I continually have with God as I grow and walk with him. So that's kind of what I do. Yeah. In like (laughs) sometimes very roundabout ways. But that's that's been the journey for me and as quick of a nutshell as I could sum it all up.
0: That's great. So then it sounds like your music has always been intertwined with your spiritual journey. Is that true?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. So I was like born and raised in the church. I learned how to improv by doing wor- like worship sessions at home with my family. So like I have four younger sisters and my family was like really close and tight knit so we would do like these worship sets at home all the time and my sisters like dance and some of them sing and so we had like kind of an in-house worship band and my parents just love like worship and and so we would do that regularly so that's where how i like really learned how to improv growing up but i feel like my motivation in music i think was very self-focused or self-absorbed until I had this moment with the Lord where it could become more than that. So like before that point, it was, it was something that I enjoyed and it was something that made me feel good. But it was also something that I saw could make me be important. (laughs) Like in my eyes, that's what I was pursuing. And then when I got that from the Lord, like he like essentially told me, hey, you're important and you matter to me. once i got that then it became much more of an an exploration and a journey with him Um, and that's much more how i would describe it now
0: well tell me more about that encounter what exactly happened
1: so i was at this worship camp and this is the first time i think that i'd ever been at anything where, like, people my age were actually having, like, tangible encounters with God, where they were, like, experiencing something so meaningful to them that it was, like, overwhelming. (laughs) So there was this one particular night where I was like, all right, I'm gonna just do, like, what Jacob did. (laughs) And so, like, when Jacob is wrestling with God, he's like, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. Like, I'm going to go up to the front. And I'm not leaving until I experience something. So I went up to the front and people were like praying for me. And then they would like move on and do other stuff. I don't know how long I was up there for. It felt like a really long time and I was getting really discouraged. And I was like, God, don't you love me? Like, don't you want to show your love to me? Like, why do you have to make me wait this long to experience something? And I was literally right about to give up and my eyes were closed and in my mind's eye, I saw this massive wall of blue energy and I was standing in front of it and somehow I just knew that it went up forever and it went down forever and it went out this way forever and it went out to the right forever and it went back forever. And it was just this massive thing um, and I could feel like the, the magnitude of it and it Something that kind of like leads me to like understand a little bit, like why people would like fall on their face whenever they're like seeing God, like it it kind of felt like that. And then the Lord was like, this is the love that I have for you. So don't ever question my love for you again. Yeah. (laughs) And then after that, he proceeded to tell me like a bunch of things about like what he wanted me to do with music and how he wanted me to use my voice. And it was like this loud, like roaring whisper in my ears. And it was so strange because I couldn't tell you if I was hearing it audibly or if it was like in my spirit. Like I couldn't really tell you, but I know that it was clear enough that I wrote it down. And I was laying on the floor yelling like, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> for like a good <laughs> 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Just as an aside, like sometimes people pretend or overdramatize things that they're experiencing from the Lord. But I can tell you from personal experience that there are things to be experienced of God that do leave you looking a little bit like a crazy person. So that was the moment for me. I came back from that, literally my whole sound changed. I don't really know how to explain it. My approach to harmony, I feel like changed a little bit. I came back and I made this song and it was some of the musical ideas that came out in that song. Are like musical ideas that I've been exploring ever since then that are like I don't know if I could have tapped into that without that because I like I'm a real believer that like music is about like music is a way of communicating something that's on the inside of you and so you can only talk about things that you've seen or experienced I mean you can try to describe things that you haven't seen or experienced but there's only so much depth that you can talk about something that you haven't seen or experienced and so having seen that, it just opened this whole other door to like the grandeur and the majesty and like the, the gravitas that can be found when making music that's about God or from God or for God that I feel like is something a little bit unique in what I tend to lean towards.
0: beautiful story. You know, it's interesting because earlier you were talking about how your identity prior to this encounter was really wrapped up what I would say in kind of the hustle mm-hmm. perhaps of of making it, of proving yourself, of you know, creating this identity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, after this encounter, it almost sounds like it set your art free it set your music free Mm -hmm. from the necessity of this existential weight that our art cannot carry and Mm -hmm. i keep thinking of how beautiful of an encounter it is when our art is set free from the necessity of validating our existence and Mm. how much deeper and wider, just like the vision you shared with me, it was going out in every direction, this blue. Mm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And how when we have these deeper encounters with truth, our art is also set free. Mm. And I love how you described that on the other side of this encounter, your sound changed. You Mm -hmm. began to write in a different way Way and even the motivations of, of your music were different. Mm-hmm. How has that continued? And do you still find that to be true present day? Is that something that has followed you since that experience until now? And And what is that like for you now? Are you still writing music to capture or to recapture that experience? Or are you in a place where your music brings you back to that place?
1: Yeah. I'm definitely not trying to recapture that particular experience anymore just because I've continued in my walk with the Lord since then, so I have new things. But I do think the heart posture is still the same and it's probably grown even more because a thing that, and I, I talk about this a lot when I'm like trying to encourage artists who are just starting out or who are like looking to identify and grow in like their sound. To make kingdom art to me is a process of two things. One, you have to have something to talk about. So like that encounter was something for me to talk about. <laughs> and the encounters that I've had since then have been have given me things to talk about. And not all of them have been as dramatic as that. <laughs> That's probably one of the most dramatic encounters I've had in my whole life. But I I have continued to see and experience things from God that have been just as even more meaningful than that one, even though they're less dramatic. So that's fundamentally important. Like you have to have something to talk about. And then the second thing that happens is you have to develop in your craft enough to have the vocabulary to talk about things in detail. So like someone who I would say like is a really good example of that who's um, I mean, as far as I know, I don't know him personally, but many would think of him as like a secular artist, is like Jacob Collier. Like, Jacob Collier has like this extensive musical vocabulary. He can talk about a lot of things with like extreme nuanced detail. And the process of creating is not like, it's like talking. Like you're not thinking about formulating your sentences with like this extremely nuanced vocabulary. But if you have that vocabulary, it just comes out of you. And so developing that vocabulary, I think, has continued to liberate me to be more detailed in the things that I describe that I have seen and experienced from God. So that has been like kind of the artistic journey for me is learning what is it exactly that I'm trying to say. And that has just gotten more and more clear as time has progressed. And then how do I see that in the most clear way, using the tools of the trade? And that I think has gotten more and more clear and honed. So like, I often describe my discography as like a spiral, like I'm moving in on something. And my hope would be that if you were to like, go back and listen through everything that I've made, that you would kind of feel that, like it's honing in on something particular. And, and the goal is that by the end of it, they are all like sort of tangentially connected. So.
0: Wow. You know, years ago, one of my mentors at the time, you may know him, uh, his name is Don Potter. Mm, yeah. And, you know, incredible musician, has done a lot of uh, music as well as production. And, you know, he was probably one of the first ones that talked to me About developing a large vocabulary Mm. as an artist and as a musician. And, you know, when we are aiming to express something as vast and mysterious and transcendent as the presence of God, as then we have to develop a large vocabulary. And even then, we fall so short to encapsulate the fullness of that. But it's a beautiful change of motivation even to think of our talent or our gifting or even our ability to run scales and play chords and rhythms and whatever language our art takes, that it's not so much about showing our skill so much as it is positioning us to be able to carry the greater things mm-hmm. that maybe God wants to express through our music and through our art and you know for those that, combine their art and their faith as an expression of a deeper encounter that we have, it's almost prerequisite that we develop a large vocabulary.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think there's like, there's this interesting equivocation at times. And I think this happens in the church, especially just because like worship or worship music or music that's for God is considered sacred. And so anything that is like associated with ego or looks like it could be, is like honed and on immediately and looked to be snuffed out. But I feel like there's like this interesting equivocation between like playing skillfully and showing off, which is not at all the same thing. Because when a person like if you're actually a very skilled musician and you're listening to someone who is showing off versus someone who's playing very skillfully with intention, you can hear the difference. Yes. And it's not at all (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) Showing off doesn't sound anywhere near as good or feel anywhere near as meaningful (laughs) as like playing super skillfully with intention. Yes. Because the best line is not always the fastest line, but it's not also always the simplest or slowest or like... Yes. So it's... It's whatever is best serving the intention of the emotion or feeling that you're looking to convey is the best choice. And any way that you can increase your skill to be able to capture that will end up serving you better in the long run. And I think there is like a space for us to mature in the body around that to embrace this idea of, like, skill is valuable, and it's not valuable because of ego. <laughs> like, it's it's valuable because, like, sometimes a hard line is a really meaningful line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so good. You know, this is interesting uh, that, that Don keeps coming up in our conversation, but I remember he as well said to me one time years and years ago, he talked about that verse, you know, play skillfully unto Mm -hmm. the Lord, I believe. But that word skillful in the original text or in the original language meant to play with a discerning heart. It Mm. it meant to Mm. play with that posture of intentionality that you're talking about. It meant to play with a spiritual sensitivity to what's going on in the atmosphere around you. Mm-hmm. And then again, back to your vocabulary, it's like having that vocabulary will enable the artist or the musician to translate or to interpret what's happening on the deeper level into something that a number of people can then connect with. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that kind of what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, and like any, um. I feel like that's just a fundamental truth that applies regardless of what you know or believe. Because like any jazz musician will tell you the same thing, like to play skillfully in a sense is to play without ego, because the most important thing when you're playing skillfully with other people is your ear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you have to be listening (laughs) and... No matter what you play, if it's stepping on what everybody else is playing, then it's not going to feel as meaningful and connect as well with what else, whatever else is going on. Even more so for the believer, like you're always listening and not just for the music, but like for what the spirit is doing. And that is where like the most skill is seen in that yielding but it doesn't mean that the line is simple. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It doesn't mean that you don't have to practice. <laughs> yes.
0: Wow. No, I love that, you know, and as you're talking about ego, it just it made me think how important of a part humility is in playing skillful. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have the ability to play all of the technical lines, but if you don't have the humility and the sensitivity to see what's happening in the environment in the atmosphere there's almost a patience that comes with that posture and you know just to bring it back to your music specific when i listen to your music i hear that patience i hear the sensitivity that you're talking to me about i hear this sense of waiting in a sense when i when i listen to your particular music uh, that you've shared with me It invites me into that encounter. It's not that I'm on the outside beholding something, there is that, but it goes beyond me just beholding it and it invites me into the same encounter. When did you go from just writing your own music to then crafting this art of producing other people? Because not only are you writing and recording your own stuff, you've also produced for artists like Victory Boyd and Abby Gamboa. Talk to me about this part of you as an artist that when did you go from just writing your own stuff to then producing others?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it started just with friends, like my friend Andrew Van Dyke, look out for him. That man is ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) My first official music production project with someone else was for him, um, for his first album. Learned a ton about how to actually work with an artist through that. I don't think I, at that point, intended to do that for many people, but... It it was definitely like a good initial foray into the role of being a producer. I think what really spurred me stepping more into that space was just seeing the need. Like my sound is pretty I think it's pretty unique. (laughs) I've been told that it's pretty unique. I would agree with every sound that there is, so I don't know. (laughs) But in the world of music that's for God. I just feel like there is this massive opportunity for there to be super unique sounding music. Like we're talking about the creator of the universe, like the greatest artist of all time. Come on. So may as well have some things that reflect that. And I have a lot of artist friends. And as I started to meet more and more artists, I started to see more and more people who had like this desire of making music that was unique but didn't necessarily know how to do it. So I would just kind of like, oh, let me step up and do it. How it got to the level of victory was entirely just the Lord. because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think at the time that I started, so I was actually the first producer that was pulled into Glory Hour, which is her last album that came out. And I was a big part of spearheading that whole project. I did not at all have any of the credentials <laughs> to be in that position. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I did I think have the skill um and that was because the Lord, in between like me starting music and meeting her, had taken me through this whole path of like honing and refining my skills, but I definitely didn't have like the the credits or anything to like kind of merit working on that kind of project with someone who could have easily just tapped Kanye to do it. So how it got to that level was entirely the Lord. And then I feel like I skipped a lot of the intermediate steps that producers usually take to get to a place where they can do the kind of projects that I've been working on lately. But it, it definitely did spur just from seeing that need for a new sound. And I also believe what I do is, quote unquote, experimental in a lot of ways, like my approach and um, my sound. The difference between something that is experimental and something that is pop, (laughs) not to get too philosophical here, but.
0: No, get as philosophical as you want, my friend, let's go.
1: The difference between something that's like experimental and pop in my mind, just because pop has crossed such a wide variety of genres throughout the years is convention and convention or like what's quote-unquote common, is context. So the more things that you have to give a specific sound, the context for it to be commonly understood, then the more popular that thing can be. And so in the Christian music space, right now the convention in a lot of ways, not to like knock this down because there's a lot of really incredible musicians, a lot of really incredible artists and a lot of really incredible producers. And I don't think this is any of their fault. And I think a lot of them would agree with this, but the convention right now is kind of bland. The, the convention in the Christian space right now, I would say is kind of bland artistically and In order to shift that and create a space and a market for there to be artists who are not that way, I feel like you need more than just one artist who's doing that. You need many. And so if I can play any role in kind of shifting the culture of not just Christian sound, but the whole industry, because I'd I feel like a lot of the times we've kind of limited the impact of kingdom music by only sticking to the Christian genre. I feel like if, if there's any role for me to play in kind of shifting the narrative of that to this more open, honest, authentic, real and deep sound, it requires me to not just do like put out music as a solo artist but also to like come behind other artists and bring that honest authenticity that I have from a musical perspective to their vision and allow it to be as glorious and vibrant and authentic to what they're looking to create as possible with all of the quality that you get out of the vibrant productions that come out of the secular space.
0: on this season of the podcast our focus is community and culture and we're talking about how community impacts the artist as well as how the artist impacts culture and you know you said in order for us to make change in the music industry or in these particular contexts it will take a lot of us doing these things and i think that's such a beautiful statement that really lends itself to the power of community to the power of collaboration mm. to the power of you know cultural transformation and you know i love what you were saying that like all throughout the conversation music is a language you know we've talked about music being a language and how the church context is really only one context and i think historically we've idolized the hour and a half of Sunday morning as the pinnacle of all artistic expression. And that's just not true. That's just not the case. And I think that part of our role as artists and producers who are kind of floating through the faith space or rooted in a faith experience or who are working in a faith context, part of the work is to show a greater understanding of what art is and to show a greater understanding of what whatever our language is whether it's music or choreography or visual art filmmaking whatever it is that there is a vast language there is a, a vast vocabulary that god has given to the artist to speak into culture. And so I just, I wanna affirm, first of all, your work as an artist and a producer, and then also may it be many of us that that are expressing the vastness of, of what music can express from a posture of faith and encounter with ultimate reality with God How can we limit that expression to this tiny little vocabulary?
1: Yeah, it it doesn't work to limit it in that way. And I think we also, as a result of that, limit the sort of things that we can say. Like, for example, my music is very, um, at least lately, I've had a lot of songs that were sort of, um, so in a lot of worship spaces, they talk about like vertical versus horizontal. So like songs that are to God or songs that are like about God to like people or like just talking about like what we're receiving from God and like kind of declaring it. I've had songs that are both of those things. But lately I've been much more interested in songs that are like vertical, but in the opposite direction. (laughs) It's like songs that are like from God to people. (laughs) And I feel like art allows for that sort of thing to occur in the public square. Like a lot of the time if people were to talk about like the prophetic, like hearing something from God, The only space where you're going to hear that is like in a church service or like maybe in a YouTube video that you somehow managed to stumble upon. But with the way the algorithms work, if you're not in church or like not connected to that world, probably never going to stumble upon it unless the (laughs) Lord literally just gives it to you. So I believe that we have a unique opportunity as artists to bring that out from that space and into the wider like more secular context and that there's a lot of value to be had from that because the presentation of it as art and the beauty of it allows for it to be received and engaged with in a way that the presentation outside of it may not necessarily allow and I think this is even backed up by scripture because I think sometimes a lot of the time well I would say a lot of the time the nature of the prophetic actually works better in poetry than it does in prose oh yeah <laughs> which is why like Isaiah is written in poetry and like revelations and like like all of the prophetic books are written in poetry because there's so much more deep meaning that you can compact into like this little space and you can it, it just becomes so much more rich. And so I just find like a tremendous value in that there is like kind of this connection between prophecy and music that the church has explored. But I don't know that it has been explored yet in a way that would bring it outside of the church space and into the public space. And I'm really curious to see what would happen if we did that.
0: Honestly, that's one of the things we're fostering, even in The Breath and the Clay and even in Makers and Mystics and some of the stuff that we're doing from a posture of being deeply rooted in the things of the Spirit to also stand at the intersection of art, faith and culture and to be able to create something that can transcend borders, to be able to take some of those deeper encounters expressed through the arts, expressed through poetry, and bring them in a language that the wider culture can understand. And I think that's something that I see you doing in your music. That's why I was so drawn to what you're doing, not only with just your incredible work on Victory's album, but also in your music as an experimental songwriter, as someone who I see deeply rooted in the things of the Spirit, but speaking a language that can cross borders, that has a passport, is the way that I say it. You know, you've got a passport to go into many different realms. And uh, man, that's something I appreciate about you, Caleb. And that's also why I'm super excited to introduce you to the Makers and Mystics audience. And I'm also super excited to get to hang out with you in person in March, so. Thank you so much for joining me today on Makers and Mystics. I'm a fan of your work, man, and I, I really appreciate who you are.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's truly a dream. <laughs> There's like two <laughs> podcasts that I have wanted to do, and only two: yeah. this one and the Rogan Experience. All right. So one down. You, got, you one have to one go. down, right? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I
0: Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Caleb's music as well as links to join us at the Breath in the Clay Creative Arts event taking place March 22nd through 24th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We'll see you again next week and until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. And yet
1: it's the